Grandfather, great spirit. All over the world, the faces of living ones are alike. With tenderness, they have come up out of the ground. Look upon your children, that they may face the winds and walk the good road to the day of quiet. Grandfather, great spirit, fill us with the light. Give us the strength to understand and the eyes to see. Teach us to walk the soft earth as relatives to all that live. 
Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Jaguar and the Owl, coming to you from the Wandering Owl in Jackson, Michigan. I am James Soval, known to some as Two Snakes and to others as Shaman Jim, joined by my good friend, Sarenth Odinson. How are you doing tonight, Sarenth? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. I want to do a quick shout out real quick. I want to... Uh, uh, shout out to myself in a way. I wanted to point out to people the Wandering Owl uh, that we, we always broadcast from. You can find us at thewanderingowl.com, but we now have our very own Wandering Owl Twitter feed. So you can find that at Wandering Owl Jackson, J X N. Wandering Owl Jackson, you can find us there on Twitter. You can always find me, James at the Owl, on Twitter. And uh, Sarenth, what is your Twitter handle, by the way? Mine is uh, Sarenth, as usual. My uh, WordPress is sarenth.wordpress.com, and my email is sarenth.gmail.com. Very good. Well, and uh, before we go too far in here, I want to I want to say real quickly that that was a Sioux prayer that we opened with today, and it seemed appropriate because I had a lot of things come up in the last, I'd say, two weeks, and now there's a big news story that is kind of feeding into this, and so. We uh, are going to be having a discussion tonight about the topic of suicide and how it relates to shamanism. And I, I really want to get into this topic because I think it's a needed one. And I kept getting signs for the last two weeks. But before we go too far, I want to throw this out there because I know that as a podcast or a show like this hits the Internet, you have all these feed aggregators and they find keywords and so there's a good chance that suicide and shamanism might come up in a feed somewhere and so i don't want to go very far into the show before mentioning that the national suicide prevention lifeline is at 1-800-273-8255 and if you are in a position where you are worried about uh taking your own life, afraid you can't prevent it, you see no other options, please call that hotline and seek some help and talk to somebody immediately because it is very important. And I think the reason this came up for me, there was there was a few different keys. And obviously the, the big thing in the news right now is that airliner where the co-pilot committed suicide and took a bunch of other innocents with him and that just was the capstone for me for many signs that I'd been seeing recently. And I think the one that made me want to bring up this topic with you, with you, Sarah, and, and for you, the readers, was I was reading Sacred Hoop number 87, which came out recently. And there was a uh, quote in there from Sandra Ingerman. And so, you know, here's a very well-respected shaman and author and she had a quote in there that just kind of knocked my mm. socks off. And her quote was, uh, this is quoting, I have suffered suicidal depression for most of my adult life, and it's really a miracle that I'm here. I'm 62 years old, and it's the simple daily practices that I do which have kept me here. I've learned how to be grateful no matter what I'm feeling, even if it's making it up, even if I'm forcing it, just giving thanks for my life. I've learned how to work with my words and my thoughts, being aware of the energies I send into the collective. Through the practice of shamanism, I have learned how to use my words, thoughts, and daydreams to bless myself and others. 
I've learned how to ride the waves of both joyful and turbulent times. That quote to me was immensely profound because I'm going to you know, open up some doors here through, through the course of this podcast, but I've suffered with depression and suicidal thoughts myself over the years. And so being that we Hi. pride ourselves on being the, the podcast, the show about practical shamanism, I thought that we were obligated to bring this up. Oh, yeah. And it's a rough subject. And I totally understand if some people need to change the channel, proverbially mm -hmm. speaking, that is totally fine. If this is not a subject you can handle, if this is a subject that, that hurts to even consider at the moment, that is okay. Part of considering the self in this episode, in the topic we're going to be exploring is consideration of where you can process what's being talked about and if you can handle what's being talked about because not everybody can and that's not any aspersion on your character or, or your worthiness as a person. If, if this subject is hard for you to, to handle or deal with or in any way, shape, or form is rough for you, that is okay. Exactly. Yeah, feel free to to stop this episode. It's fine. Um, but keep in mind that it's here because this is a resource that you can return to. And perhaps this isn't even meant for you. Maybe there's something on this show that you need to hear to pass it on either the show or the statement to other people. So bearing all that in mind, um, thank and you, Sarah, for that very good thought. We are, we are not... Uh, licensed mental health counselors. I want to make that abundantly clear before we move forward that our talk here is from our experience, from our work with the spirits, the gods, the ancestors, and that if you or somebody that you care for is suffering from a mental illness, is currently in a headspace where they may hurt themselves or others, do not wait. Please, if, if you are hearing suicidal ideation or if you are hearing that they are really depressed and down and they think that they're just going to end it all, that's the time to hang up the phone or, or do what you got to do. Um, as far as this podcast, hang it up and, and take care of this person, first and foremost. Exactly right. Exactly right. We're only sharing what we've gone through on a personal level and some of our thoughts. And so the, there are experts out there at that hotline and in other places that are much more equipped to be able to help people. So we just want to uh, make sure we are clear in our intent. I also want to put this out there that if it seems that we're indulging in some really dark humor, it's because that's how I process things. I process a lot of things as for, for anybody who's been on this show and, and listened for any length of time. I process a lot of things that are uncomfortable with putting it in a humorous light. So I am not, if, if I come off as uncouth, I apologize. My intent is to be able to face things with a certain amount of aplomb and wit and humor because it helps me diffuse the emotional content of what I'm looking at. So... 
this is this is not an episode where we're going to be making fun of people. We are going to be approaching a lot of our own our own shadow work and our own demons. So I just want to put that out there as well. Exactly. So on the topic there, and and coming off of Sandra's quote, I felt like I could relate to it a lot because. Um, I think we've mentioned or alluded to a few times in the past on past shows that uh, there are times when, and you call them, I believe, the fallow times, uh, the, you, mm-hmm. you see things referred to as the dark night of the soul, um, and there's just times when there's questions and, and, and pain and, and the spirits don't seem to be responding, and it's a very hurtful time, and I really could relate to that because... You know, there's a there's a strange area here because the the suicidal thoughts sometimes have been attributed to things like the the shamanic crisis, but I'm talking about a period in my life where I was well on my path of shamanism when I was dealing with a lot of this, and it doesn't necessarily make it any easier. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is because a lot of times in chat rooms, in books, with other people you're going to speak with, they're all talking about these wonderful, amazing experiences where they, they touch the divine and and there's nothing but love and light. And, you know, I've had moments like that, but I just felt like I needed to point out that the contrast is out there as well. There are times in my life where I know in my heart of hearts that I'm right with the gods, the ancestors, and the spirits. And to my little human heart in that depth of pain, that doesn't matter because I feel so alone in that moment. I can be getting omen after omen. And that fallow period doesn't necessarily mean the gods and the ancestors and the spirits aren't all talking at you or talking with you or talking to you. It means that you sometimes you're, you're um, as the song by Bjork goes, you know, you just ain't receiving. Yeah, exactly. Your phone is off the hook. And that, very much that song resonates with me on a number of levels but when you're talking about the fallow times and the times where oh man it's it's a hard slog to just get out of bed let alone go in front of the altars and do the prayers when you're feeling lousy oh man so yeah those those fallow times are really rough and those aren't talked about very often in the books or the the specials the workshops because well, to be honest and blunt, that that doesn't sell very well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and sometimes the, the reasons behind this are so complex, you know. Yeah. But sometimes they're really simple, too. Like, I am affected highly by seasonal affective disorder. And this is something that I've had to come to terms with over the years and really kind of understand that this is a cycle that I go through. The, you know, I could speak to this from a, just a physiological standpoint, or I could speak to it from a shamanic standpoint, where when I'm in the Northern Hemisphere and the daylight is short and most of the world is asleep, that there's a part of me that really wants to be asleep too. And I think if I could just remain indoors or or by myself or around a fire with a cl- few uh, close friends and family that I could make it through a winter a lot easier than I'm forced to do because of the society that we live in. And that contributes to my own depression. And that is 
very often where the worst and deepest and darkest of the thoughts come to me is right before spring. It's like my spirit can't stand the darkness anymore. And it becomes a real sort of crisis mentality of when is this going to end? Yeah, that that period hits a lot of people right then and there. I, I don't have that issue, as I've told you several times, and I, as I'm sure listeners have heard, I actually adore winter. Um, and so sad doesn't hit me. What does hit me is when there are long stretches where I have to be really patient or I have to, to go without hearing the voice of the gods for a period of time or, or just when you, you hit these really hard life challenges and it's like, oh, where is the solution? Where is the solution? Um, but in, in, in your example, that makes a lot of sense because, our society is no longer set up with those cycles in mind with the invention of the light bulb and 24 hour cycles that followed with the complete industrialization of our lives and the cascade effect that took what are, what are natural cycles anymore? There are things to be managed. Right. And that can be really, I, I, I can only imagine how rough it is. When your body is basically screaming at you, hibernate, or you know, come close with community, and this is how we've done things for time out of mind, and now in the last, oh, 200 years or so, we decided to upend all of that and replace it with this daily cycle of you must provide, you must provide, you must do. And, and there is no real like deep-seated rest to take. Mm-hmm. That's that's gotta be rough, and I my heart goes out to you. Well, you know, we all hit those points where I think where you know, like you said, for other people it might be something of a personal crisis, and and I've certainly had a number of those as well. And sometimes it really is part of me. The intellectual part wants to parse out and sort out what is just a physical crisis or what is a human crisis. You know, like when the middle of winter and the car breaks down or uh, you're going to mm-hmm. have trouble with, you know, you got a health issue or something like that. And I, and part of me wants to parse that out and separate it from a uh, shamanic issue. But in truth, in my heart, I know that there isn't really a difference between those two things. Right. And I, I'm not, right. please don't anyone interpret the fact that I'm saying that if you're doing your shamanic path well, that you can avoid all these things because you can't. But what I am saying is that things reflect on multiple levels at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't taking it that way either. We've said here several times in the podcast and the uh, the show um, podcasts that we've done that the body is a part of the soul, and if we really do believe that, our psychology must include the body and its <laughs> and and its rhythms. And what happens to your body when those rhythms are ignored or pushed to the side or I can eke a little more out of this body before I crash. Um, if there is a disconnect between the body, there is a disconnect with a part of your soul in our tradition. Um, in the northern tradition. Because the lique or the lich is one of the soul parts. So if you're not in sync with that, or if there's something disjointed, there's things that need to be addressed. 
just as much as things of the mind and things of the more ephemeral parts of your soul. So ig- ignoring a part of your soul is um, not only not recommended, but it, it opens you up to a whole new level of challenge. And I can definitely see that the, the body expresses when you're depressed. The body expresses a certain mode. It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm really sleepy. It's, it's almost like, uh, at least for me, some, it manifests as like a weight. Not only do I not want to get out of bed, I just want to sleep mm-hmm. and sleep. And dear gods, I don't want to stop sleeping. Because that's easier to deal with, that weightlessness is easier to deal with than the weight of living and getting up and moving around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. Um, for me, it, it feels like, and you know, it's that line from, from Lord of the Rings where I feel like uh, too little butter scraped over too much bread sort of thing. I just, I feel so worn thin. And the hard part for me is always that it just, it's funny because depression and these kinds of thoughts are so strong that that even if there's a solution or a help right in front of your face a lot of times you can't see it and so it seems like this is a problem that's never going to end or something that's going to go on forever and you know it even applies in the spiritual side where as you said already the the spirits might be speaking like crazy, but you just can't hear them. And there's even this pervasive feeling of loneliness sometimes, like, why won't they hear me? And, and the problem is they might be, but you can't necessarily hear their response. And it's, it's such a trapped feeling. That's how it usually expresses to me. It's, I, f- I really feel cut off when those situations arise. Yeah, um... So a metaphor that just kind of jumped in my head was that you're moored. You're a ship that's moored, and you're tied really tight to that dock. And everybody's saying, if you just unlashed from the dock, you could go somewhere. But you're so, you're tied so tight that it, the knots look impossible. Mm-hmm. And why should I bother getting the gumption up to even take the knots apart? That looks so hard from here. Um, that's the insidious thing about depression, um, at least is how it manifests for me, is because it takes it takes that the gumption and the the zeal that I usually have to do things, and just floors it, just drops a brick right on top of it, and so it just kind of pins it underneath and says, you know, uh, it's not worth the effort. Right, and that's really hard, especially when you've got a daily practice to keep. Do- that that is is a lot of times where your daily practice is going to be of deep help because it's like, okay, this is how you unknot from the mooring, and this is how you take the rope apart, and this is how you bring the anchor up. Because and it, having a way of doing things is really helpful. It's not a cure all, but it certainly helps you get through the hard times because there's a process that you know. And it's not okay. This is this is something where I have to make immense change, and that that to me, having that that daily practice to fall back on is key to getting through those hard times. Because you're secure in the knowledge that even if you're not receiving, that you are doing your part, and that gabo is being done. 
right. Yeah, you know, the funny part about those daily practices is they're so necessary. But, boy, the time when you need them the most is when the time you're, when you're least inclined to do them. Oh, yeah. Like, if it if everything is such a struggle, then, of course, those daily practices are a struggle, too. And you might not even, in my mind, at least I don't always realize the benefits that I'm getting from those daily practices while I'm doing them. If it's, you know, if it's, it's the middle of this dark fallow period and I'm just doing it, there's a lot of times, like Sandra's quote, where it feels like you're just going through the motions. You're just forcing yourself to, through those daily practices. And it's a real struggle of will. And it is totally legitimate to do that. There is, there is, sometimes there has to be an essence of fake it till you make it because that's what's keeping you afloat and moving you forward. You know, it, it, it is totally okay to have fallow periods where, you, okay, I know I'm doing this ritual because it's familiar. Because not only is it what you know and it's comfy and all that, but you, you there's a certain amount of I know this works. And that even though I'm not feeling it right now, the process of, of accomplishing something in and of itself can help bring light to a very deep, dark place. And it's not it, – it, it, as far as my own when, – when I've been there in that fallow period and I've been really weighted down, it doesn't usually hit me until a little while after I start getting really into the practice again. It takes some time. It, it's it's almost like rehabituating yourself. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's – when you start getting back in that practice and you're starting to pull yourself out of it, it's kind of strange sometimes because the moment that you did something – and I don't know what that something is. And, you know, in my case, it might be a special cleansing bath. It might be going and seeking help from a friend. It might, you know, there, there's been various solutions over the years. But you don't recognize that moment for how pivotal it was until much later. And and I think that's a that's a insidious thing in its own right. The fact that the thing that you're doing, hoping to receive some help, um, it might not seem like it's working right away. It's, it's not until you're starting to come out of it a little bit that you realize what an important moment that was. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, I give regular offerings of tobacco to my gods, ancestors, and spirits. And so there was a period in time where I was making regular offerings of, of tobacco. And I was I was buying these special cigarettes that I usually buy for them. And I was I was determining okay, so this is this is what I can do today, mm-hmm. and that's make my prayer, light the cigarette, make the offering, and go about my day, and that's the bare minimum of what I can do today. And I had to tell myself that that was okay. And sometimes I literally had to tell myself that was okay, right? Because that's what I could put out there. Um. And if you're if you're not careful with that with smoking, that can turn into a really uh, that can turn into a, ha- a habit rather than a sacred experience. Right. Um, so boilerplate warning on that regard. But it provided me a way of of getting into that. Okay, this is sacred space in my own head because I have a rote prayer and a mindset that I go into when I work with sacred fire. Even if it's something as small as lighting a cigarette, there is a prayer that goes along with that and a headspace I have to enter into in order to do it right. 
And so having a practice like that where you you have to sandwich yourself in the sacred like that can be deeply helpful because you you know what kind of ideation or what kind of experience you are supposed to be facilitating for yourself. And that's the thing too is that it's it's your own experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really helps bring us out of that 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 deep dark place is that you're you are asking the gods, okay, I am I am setting up the space in my heart, mind, soul, body for an experience. And I'm not demanding like you show up in the flesh or something, mm-hmm. but I am setting this space for an experience. And even if it's it's a breath of their presence for a half second, that can sustain me through a really rough time. Even if it's dead silence and I don't get anything. Right. That, if I don't. That th- one day at a time, one moment at a time mentality sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, a, it's a building process. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think um, we're at a point now where I think we're going to stop real quick and we're going to take a quick commercial break. And uh, when we get back, I'm going to talk to you guys. I want to share a personal experience of mine with you all so you know where I'm coming from. And then Sarah and I are probably going to go a little bit deeper into things that we have done to help us get by and cope when things like this have come up. So if you guys will all stay with us, we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Hollywood Hunt writer Marla Brooks, and you're listening to the Para-X Radio Network. Happy anniversary, Rev. Six years and still seeking answers, and they said it wouldn't last. Yeah, what do they know? Bopkiss, what do you know? I know when to shut up and let you do your thing with our listeners, like dream interpretation, astrology, spirituality, numerology, and sometimes palmistry on the radio. Some people say I'm eclectic. Some call me esoteric. I prefer to think of myself as spiritually OCD. That's what makes you, you. I'm a drummer, by the way. Can I sleep on your couch? Anytime, except Thursdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time on para-x.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Jaguar and the Owl. Uh, Sarah and I are tackling a very hard and deep topic today. We're talking about depression and suicide and shamanism. And so I want to throw out a uh, disclaimer first to say that Sarah and I are not medical professionals, that you should seek proper medical attention if you're dealing with severe suicidal thoughts or depression. And I want to also mention the the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And I'm going to encourage you guys to call that number if you're having problems that you need help with. If you're having those sorts of thoughts, I encourage you guys to, to call that number. And the reason I'm going to do that is I am about to share a story with you all. And this is, uh, we'll call this True Confessions Time, because this show is about, you know, our experiences as shamanic practitioners dealing with all of this. And I certainly don't think I've said this in a public setting before. There's probably a few friends of mine, and certainly not on an international show such as this one. I haven't ever talked about this before. But I think it's really important to talk about, because... There's two things when you're dealing with these dark fallow periods and, and suicidal thoughts, and I think it's important that you don't assume it's all in you. Likewise, don't assume 
that it's all outside you or an outside force. You have to, with all the things that we talk about on the Jaguar and the Owl, we always talk about taking a balanced approach, about approaching the real world as well as your shamanic paths. So there was a time about six years ago where um, I was already very deep onto my shamanic path. I had a very strong practice. Uh, I was working with my Mesa every single day. I was making prayers. I was making offerings. Uh, I was doing uh, grounding, centering. I was doing all the things that we all normally talk about when we're doing this process and when we're dealing with depression. And I've came to a point in my life where I was having suicidal thoughts. I had them quite steadily for, I'm going to say, about three months. And every time they came up, I would try my best with journey work, with journaling, with other things to deal with these thoughts that they came up. And I even knew, like so many people do, exactly how and where, if I decided that this was going to be something I was going to do, how this was going to happen. I, I had it all worked out. But I have children. I have a wife. And so I was resisting and fighting this process as best as I could given that situation. So here's something that I'm going to tell you that may be controversial amongst some shamanic practitioners, amongst some of the people that you're going to run into in chat rooms. I'm going to tell you what I did to deal with this. This is my solution personally. I went to a doctor. And this is no lie, because this is not uh, a situation where I feel any sort of shame about. I went to a medical doctor. I had blood screenings. I told him what was going on. I uh, approached him about the thoughts that I was having. He gave me medication, conventional medication, the kind that you would prescribe in such an event. And I took it quite regularly until the prescription was gone. I had a follow-up appointment. And I have to tell you all that in this process, while doing my shamanic work, the medication allowed my mind to come to a point where I was stable enough to start hearing my inner thoughts better, to start hearing the spirits better, to feel more compassion for myself. And I haven't had to use it again since then. But I wanted to mention that. I wanted to share that story because, frankly, I get a little tired of some of the discrimination and some of the obstacles that people face when they're trying to do the best thing for themselves by using conventional Western medicine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It is just a compliment to whatever spiritual practice that you're doing. And if you find yourself in a situation where you think this might be of benefit to you, explore it with the proper medical professionals. I don't think there's any shame in it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I don't think it speaks any less of me on my shamanic path to tell you that I had to do that. Thank you. I, I just felt like it needed to be said. I think it does. I think that one of the, the dangers, I'm going to place this firmly at the feet of the New Age movement, that um, a lot of people who are new to the shamanic path 
can run across is this notion that allopathy, Western medicine, is it is the medical version of the devil. And it's simply not. Allopathy and holistic medicine don't sit on opposite sides. They complement each other. The preventative medicine that, that a lot of holistic medicine puts forward is useful in its own time. But allopathy is often where you turn to when somebody's bleeding like a stuck pig. You don't do preventative medicine for that. The preventative medicine is don't get cut in the first place. But once you're cut, put the neosporin on, put the bandage on. Um, and so in this regard, I look at it in, in much the same light in that your heart and mind were, were hurting and allopathy provided the exact means that your, your internal bleeding stopped. And that's not a bad thing. And not only is it not a bad thing, but sometimes the hardest thing to do is to reach and say, look, I really need help. Mm -hmm. That is a very hard step. We are very much in this society told you have to go it alone and the lone wolf is, is you know, the ideal. And it's it just that entire ideation falls apart when you're in the midst of pain. Well, and I, I think there's two things that two things that I think that are that are elephants in the room sometimes with them when you're talking about this is that you're gonna be bombarded, especially among some circles of this whole thought of positive thinking, that you can positive think your way out of any situation. And I'm sorry, I'm going to call bullshit on that one. I, I, that, does not, that does not always happen. Maybe it can, depending on the situation and what you're faced with. But I, I think it's the height of, of recklessness to say that people can just positive think their way out of these sorts of situations. The other one that's standing there is that this fear that if you're on a shamanic path, if you're on a very spiritual path and you feel connected, you're speaking with, you know, trees and rocks and spirits, that if you go to a doctor, they're just going to lock you away. And that's not true either. And I, you know, once again, you, you have to you have to explore and use the the tools that are out there for these sorts of situations and and don't give in to that sort of fear because the best of the medical practitioners that are out there they you're not going to be the first time they've encountered this sort of thing and they're not going to just throw away you away and lock away the you lock you away and throw away the key they're professionals they're trained to deal with the human condition. And so if you need to f add Western medicine to your tool set in order to deal with these situations, you need to do it. I'm going to kind of take this in a, in a different direction. Um, so we talk a lot in this show about spirit allies. Mm -hmm. And if we believe indeed that our bodies are, are holy, sacred things. Then spirit allies are not just found in the spirit world. Oh, They're found here. And I'm going to say this, and this might be a little controversial, but 
Your doctor can be a spirit ally. Your friends and family, there are spirit allies. Just because they're on a, a, um, a terrestrial existence doesn't make them any less of spiritual allies. Um, the concept of hamania comes to mind, of luck, uh, group luck in that case, majen, personal power. So if we ourselves are spiritual beings and that every person we encounter is a spiritual being, whether or not they believe in the reality of that is, is something put, put that aside. They're a spirit ally. And they are just as useful and just as, as good an ally to tap as any animal guide or any spirit guide. And they might be the most appropriate spirit guide, if you will pardon the use, for the situation at hand. Well, even – I love that thought. I really do. That's a, a powerful thought. It really is. And you can even extend that a little bit further and say if your allies are really there to help you, if your ancestors are really there to help you, if you're going through the motions, even if it just feels like going through the motions, and you're saying to your spiritual allies, you're saying to your ancestors, I need help then don't you have to trust that even if you can't hear them properly at the time, that if you seek out medical help or some other form of help, a counselor, calling a hotline, whatever, that those spirits are going to assure that you talk to the people that you need to talk to? Aren't you going to trust them that much to, that they might be able to get you to the one person that you really need to talk to? Yeah, while keeping in mind that faith can be really hard at that point in time. I understand. Whew. I understand. And I, yeah, and it is. It really is. And that's where we start getting into that problem of, uh, you know, hey, are you guys listening? Right. And, <sighs> and, and that, can be, that can be a really big balancing act. I don't have a lot of answers for that aside from just keep plugging at it and keep <sighs> doing what you can because that's how I made it through. You know, personally, as as I've just shared, part of faith was part of faith was actually taking the step to help myself, and and I think that's that's maybe sometimes the the only thing that you can have faith in is that yourself, you dialed the phone, you did this or you did that. But I think maybe mm -hmm. once once again, as I said, in retrospect, you might realize this pattern, but you might not recognize it till later. But but you need to take that step. Yeah, sometimes the spirits are waiting for you to take the step so that they can step into a space that you create for them to follow. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot like create. It's it, it's uh, creating a healing mindset. Is a lot like creating sacred space. Is is creating sacred space really? And that can be as simple as, okay, I'm going to try this. Or it can be as complicated as, all right, here's the medicine. Let's take this. What the hell? Let's see what let's see what happens. And trusting that they've given you a good diagnosis and, and all these other things that are really faith-related. Because what the doctor is handing you when he's handing you a diagnosis and he's handing you a script or when she's handing you a diagnosis when she's handing you a script or when she is giving you advice or what have you, what they're doing is they're giving you a narrative. As much as they are giving you things to do and to take, 
They're giving you a narrative. And that story and where you fit in that story is actually really deeply important. Um, I came across this idea in uh, Narrative Medicine by Louis Milmadrona, uh, who is a doctor and also a, a person who does native healing ceremonies for people. Um, and he's been on both sides. He's a, a MD and a PhD, if I remember correctly. And his whole thing is that where you fit in that narrative, the, the medical professional needs to give you a narrative for where you fit into that space and how you were supposed to heal. And your self narrative is, is deeply important too, because it plays right into that. Mm. How do you, how do you come out of this? How do you move forward? If there is no coming out of it, how do you cope with where you're at and what your diagnosis is? And what does that diagnosis mean for the rest of, of your existence? And is this a permanent thing? Is it not? Be because using framing language like, in my own case, I am a diabetic, adds to the, the narrative of where I am in the rest of my life. It, it tells me how I need to shape my relationship with food, with social gatherings, all kinds of things trickle down from this very simple narrative of I am a diabetic. Um, just as much as I have SAD or I have a mental illness or I have this, that, or the other. Um, all these narratives play into one another because that is how we understand and define our own lives. And so figuring out your own healing narrative is a huge part of this process too. Right. And, you know, it's very strange. Um, once again, venturing into my personal life, um, that sometimes when I'm depressed, it's not anything that gets me out of it but my own anger and skepticism. Like, uh, for example, I might, you know, a lot of the positive thinking movement, for example, might tell you that anger is a bad thing. But as we've discussed before, sometimes it's not. There has been a lot of times when snapping myself out of depression or seeking the help that I need came from an angry thought of, I am so sick of this. Or it came from a skeptical thought of, what if this isn't really my true voice saying this? What if this is just a shadow talking? And sometimes that's yeah. enough to get you to take the next step. Yeah. And sometimes it's a matter of where are you in the stages of grief? Are, are you, and, and once you've passed through the, through the denial stage and, and you're onto the anger part, that's often where you can find a lot of healing because you're prepared at that point to actually face it as opposed to ignoring it. Mm -hmm. Um, And hitting hitting that point can be really jarring sometimes because it, it can come out of the blue lake. My uh, my own issue this last uh, winter, and, and you and I kind of bounced a lot off each other this last winter um, with regard to talking about these things, is um, I had a lot of money worries and it was really getting me down. And every message I was getting was just be patient, be patient, be patient. And I just started getting so pissed and going, when the hell am I going to stop hearing this? And that vacillating between denying that I have to be, that, that patience at this point is, is a necessary thing 
and being angry that no, that really is the answer I need right now. And the answer that, that is logical right now, but it's not the one I want to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And so sometimes when I'm, when I'm in that really rough headspace and that fallow headspace, I get to wondering, okay, can my family make it without me? And sometimes it's a matter of just parsing it down logically. Like, nope, um, my my kid can't make it without me. Uh, I, I provide all these things. And sometimes it's, just, it's it's literally making mental lists of all the things <laughs> that you provide that you provide right. other people. Because you don't care about yourself in that moment. But if you can sit there and hash out a list of I can justify my existence for other people, <laughs> that right. could help quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think oh. I think Sandra hit a uh, good point in her quote as well. And um, sometimes the process of coming out of this is a lot about deepening your path. Um, mm-hmm. Elsewhere in her interview and other places, and this certainly resonates true for me as well. Is um, and I touched on it already. Is you know don't assume, assume it's all within you. Don't assume that it's all from without you. And so there's times to turn to divination not as maybe a final answer, but as a way to find a spark of light to follow. Um, There's times when, for myself, spending a lot of time outside, and it may or may not be by myself. So, you know, sometimes, as you know, being by yourself is a, is the worst idea, but there are times when, Mm -hmm. when it, it's very helpful. You have to, you're going to have to, Figure out how to tell the difference for yourself, because I certainly can't tell people how to do that. But I know for myself, sometimes spending time alone is a good thing. Sometimes I have to be with somebody else. But either way, spending time outside is a great thing. Spending time sorting through those thoughts and those emotions and figuring out which ones are valid and which ones are not or which is a challenge and, and which is part of an overall pattern. You might dig through your old journals and realize, wow, this happens every year X amount of time. And that's not, and that's finally what brings you back to eating habits or still that you haven't confronted the loss of a loved one from years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you don't, in a strange way, depression to me, my depression is a strange combination of, uh, being trapped on some thoughts and running away from others and um, coming out of it a lot of times feels like parsing through the ones that uh, I, that that keep reoccurring and and categorizing them. And then that allows me to finally get around to confronting the ones that I've been putting off. And a lot of times my personal experience is that's where the, solution lies but being outside makes such a huge difference connecting to a larger world mm-hmm. um, makes a huge amount of difference yeah um, and again this is where I'll, I'll, I'll pound the out of the practice because even a simple morning prayer or evening prayer for those of us who are on the flip side of the sleep schedule mm-hmm. um to me deeply important you know or whenever i see the moon i hail mani and hail naught um and i might hail the star people if i if i am able to see them at night 
or if I, or if I'm in a place where I'm in a personal fog <laughs> and the sky happens to be in a fog and I can't see any of them, just like I can't see my way out. Sometimes the best thing for me to do is to hail them because I know that they're there. Mm-hmm. Not even just hailing them, but have you ever had the experience where the solution is actually doubling down? Like, I don't feel what's going on. I certainly don't feel like they're speaking to me, but I realize I've been doing the bare minimum or I've been doing the same practice for too long. And so the answer is to deepen it by, by like doubling down. If I'm going to banish in the morning, well, I'm going to banish at night too. If I'm going to do grounding in the afternoon before lunch, well, then I'm going to do it right before bedtime. If I'm offering just a glass of water, then no matter how hard it is, I'm going to find out a way to come up with a bottle of stout to offer instead. Double down sometimes becomes a, a key for resolution for me. Yeah, absolutely. There there are times uh, when just being tenacious about it. And I think some of that keys back to the frustration and anger bits we were talking about earlier is, okay, well, this isn't, this isn't quite getting me to where I'm going to that problem solving that that helps sometimes um it's that by the gods i'm i'm just just that that grit really mm-hmm. can can help push you forward especially when you don't think you've got it <laughs> yeah right right uh, and when you find it and, and you seize it and you work with it that that can be healing in of itself of okay well i've got more grit than i thought i did so let's see what this does. Um, I wanted to make a quick note on divination. Um, if you if you do divination on a regular basis, um, or if you have it done for you, even more importantly, um, for, for any vines, knowing where your personal limit is with a client is really important since we're talking about suicide and, and mm-hmm. depression and various things. Knowing where your limit is as a diviner is really important. Um, and being willing and able to tell a client, hey, look, this is way beyond my pay grade. You need to talk to somebody. Right. And doing it in a manner that, that is best for the client. Um, as so, sometimes they need just a, a, a very, like the equivalent of a punch in the head of, okay, look, this is beyond what my skill is and what my skill set is. You need to talk to a professional, right. uh, a mental health professional. Well, um, and being willing to have that, that humility that I, I, I don't have the answer for you here, but here's, here's the direction you need to go in. Right. And I'm going to flip side that as well and say that if you are doing divination as part of this overall struggle, to get out of this sort of place that you're careful not to do that divination from yourself because when you're in these bad head spaces you're more likely than not going to see what reinforces the the negative as opposed to the solution yep yep if you're not in a clean head space the divination's not probably going to be uh, all that great exactly well, believe it or not, Sarah, we are closing in on the end of this hour, and I want to thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I know that you kind of went, really? You want to talk about that when I brought it up? But uh, <laughs> I think it's important, and I feel like we've said some really powerful words here. And mm-hmm. following up on that, I I think we should both do closing prayers tonight. I agree. So I would agree. you like to go first? I'd like, I'd like to hear that. 
I think I'm going to offer two prayers. All right. The first is... Hail to the dead who've left us. Hail to the dead. Those who died the straw death. Those who died by their own hands. You are not forgotten. Gentle Lady Hella takes you into her arms, and we remember you. You are not forgotten. Hail to the dead. Hail to Hella, all compassionate, gentle goddess of Helheim. Thank you for taking up the dead. Thank you for taking up those who've taken their own lives. Thank you for showing our dead the compassion that many of them did not experience in life. Vestuhail. Vestuhail. I also want to make this prayer for those of you who are struggling. Hail to the ancestors. Hail to the ancestors of all who struggle. Hail to the ancestors of all who are in pain, all who suffer from mental illness, all of those who suffer from every corner of the world. May your ancestors hear you. May they see you. May they comfort you in your grief and your pain. May they see you. May they know you. And may you know that they see and know you. Hail. Vestuhail. So powerful. Thank you. I am going to pray to Grandfather Great Spirit like we did at the opening. So Grandfather Great Spirit, I ask humbly, not as a person seeking glory, not as a person who wants my name out there, but as someone who cares for other people who have been in the place that I've been for the people who have struggled with depression as I have and worse. I ask humbly that they hear my words or Saren's words or somebody's words that offer them some compassion, some hope, some sliver of light that they may follow to a better life. Grandfather, Great Spirit, let them hear the love that we send out. Thank you, Sarenth. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to the gods, the ancestors, and the spirits. And we'll talk to you next time.